Good morning and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host, I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today I'm going to tell you guys about what I've been referring to as Bryce Pizza 2.0. And this is going to take two parts, so here is part one of his story. Grab your cup of coffee and let's dive on in. So the reason we're covering the Bryce Pizza story again is because this is my, not favorite case necessarily, but my favorite case. And it's the one that stuck with me for the longest amount of time because it baffles me so much. And we covered this as our very first episode. So some of you guys have been listening from the very beginning or went all the way back and listened to the beginning ones, but this is not the best quality and I don't feel like I did it enough justice. So we are covering it for a second time so that I can feel a little bit better about getting his story out there. Bryce David Laspiza was born in Illinois on April 30th, 1994 to Karen and Michael Laspiza. In Illinois, he attended Kingsley Elementary and then Lincoln Junior High, but his parents ended up retiring around this time period, and when they retired, they moved to Laguna Niguel in California, and so he ended up actually graduating from Naperville High School in 2012. At the time of our story in 2013, Bryce was living in Rockland, California, which was about 450 miles away, and he had moved to Rockland to attend Sierra College, and the main part of our story happens in like August of 2013, so he had just gotten back to campus in order to start his sophomore year of classes. He was actually majoring in graphic and industrial design at Sierra College. At Sierra College, Bryce lived with his roommate, Sean Dixon, and his girlfriend, Kim Sly, lived nearby in a town called Chico. Bryce and Kim had met freshman year, and it was about a 90-mile drive for the two of them to go see each other from Rockland to Chico. Friends and family all said that over summer break, Bryce was really excited to go back to Sierra College, and he kind of wanted to get back into the swing of things at the school. On August 26, 2013... Bryce goes to his classes at Sierra College and his mom says that she spoke to Bryce and they had a really normal conversation. She said that nothing sounded out of the ordinary and Bryce pretty much went about his day just as he normally would. However, on Tuesday, August 27th, things kind of start to get weirder and Bryce starts to act a little strange. Bryce's girlfriend, Kim, reports that Bryce had started acting strange shortly after he'd taken a pill, which this pill was an ADHD medication called Vyvanse that was not actually prescribed to Bryce. And Sean, Bryce's roommate, said that Bryce had taken this Vyvanse and had been drinking alcohol that night. And it was because he wanted to stay awake in order to play video games all night. And I actually went on to, I found Bryce's Instagram page, and it's not private, so I was able to kind of look through a few things. And on August 27th, 2013, so the same day, he posted a photo of him holding a Madden 25 game, it looks like. And he says, get at me, motherfuckers. Got that. Hashtag Madden 25 at midnight. Hashtag leaderboards. So it sounds like he was pretty excited about this game that he had just gotten. And his girlfriend, Kim, commented on there and said, oh, what a cute little nerd. And then did some hashtags. 
And he responded and said, you already know, babe. He responded again about an Xbox. After that, really the only comments on it are about him missing. There's comments as recent as just a few weeks ago where people are saying that they have heard his story. And then he's got a little picture of a cute little kitty on here, which I figured Abby would like. Oh my gosh, it's so cute. And then he has a picture of him with his girlfriend, Kim, on August 19th. It looks like they went to the bear hole. Then he has a photo of a porta potty that's flipped over on its side. Okay. I mean, that's a weird photo, but nothing too strange is what you're getting at, right? Yeah. It's a pretty normal young adult profile page. Absolutely. So on July 14th, he even posted a of that same year. So a month before a photo of him with his girlfriend, Kim, where he said, happy four months, babe. And then somebody commented on there and he goes, where are you staying next semester? Somebody asked him and he said, I'm going to be at the Foothills Apartments in Roseville. I'll hit you up when I back up north and we'll get shit popping. So from everything that like I can find, I mean, he wished his girlfriend a happy four months. He... It sounded like he was excited to be back at school. He was planning on hitting up his friends. I mean, all around, it just seemed like everything was pretty normal for a college student. The concerns that Kim and Sean were having was the amount of alcohol that Bryce would consume each weekend. He was apparently drinking like a handle of alcohol every single weekend, which is a lot for one single person to drink. It is a lot and can be concerning, but sounds like that stereotypical college lifestyle is kind of what he was playing into. So was he going out to parties a lot or was he just like drinking at home? I think he was kind of just drinking at home like with his close friends. I don't really think he was going out to like big parties or anything. There was also the fact that shortly before he starts to act really weird, he ends up giving his Xbox to a friend and he ends up giving a pair of diamond earrings his mother had given him away to some of his different friends. That seems a little odd to do. It does seem a little odd because a lot of times like a sign of a suicide about to happen is somebody will start giving away a lot of their belongings. So it is kind of concerning. The next day on August 28th, 2013, it was a Wednesday. Bryce texts his girlfriend, Kim, and says, quote, you'd be better off without me, end quote. But Kim was pretty much like, we need to talk this out. So she made him come to her house around 10 o'clock that night. Like I said, it was about a 90 mile drive. So he got there and... She said that he appeared to be agitated and not well. He seemed kind of on edge and not his normal self. Was she thinking that maybe he was under the influence of something? Yes. Bryce tells her, I still want to end our relationship. I don't want to be together. And Kim takes his car keys away and says, you can't drive in the state that you're in. Like, you're not in an appropriate state of driving. And Bryce gets ticked off because he's like, "Uh, I'm going to do what I want to do. I want to leave. Give me my keys back and calls his mom, Karen, and says, Mom, I need like, can you talk to Kim? She's being crazy. Karen tells eventually tells Kim like she asks. I think she asks like what's going on. And Kim says that she just didn't feel like Bryce should be driving. But Karen thinks that Bryce sounds totally fine. He just sounds like he wants to end the relationship and Kim's not feeling okay with that and she just wants him to stay so karen's like relationship drama just give him his keys back let him leave well then karen also bryce tells her that quote i have a lot to talk to you about and so karen's like i will buy a ticket to fly tomorrow to come see you and we can talk about everything and bryce is like no no i i'll come home i'll just come home and talk to you so around 11 30 
Bryce has his keys back from Kim, and he is leaving her apartment. So he was there for about an hour and a half, pretty much just broke up with her, did the whole key argument, and then is leaving. And so everyone, his mom, Kim, they all are like, okay, he's just going home to his apartment to sleep. So later that night, around 1 o'clock in the morning, it would have technically been August 29th at this point, Bryce's mom gets a phone call from him, but she was sleeping and she didn't answer the call. And she just assumed that Bryce was calling to say, hey mom, I made it to my apartment safely, all good. Phone records were pulled later and it shows that he was actually still an hour away from his apartment in what they called an isolated area. If he left Kim's apartment at 1130 and it's about a 90 mile drive, so about an hour and a half, in theory, he should have been about home at one o'clock. But was he an hour away in a whole different direction or was he at least en route? I am not even sure, I guess. There's so many different directions that I have read about in this case. It looks like he, at this point in time, was not even in the right direction. And then he was somewhere past the college. Oh. So I'm not sure. That's kind of... Because I'm not super familiar with the area, so the directions don't make a whole lot of sense. But he was an hour away from his apartment, somewhere that he wouldn't have typically been. On August 29th, 2013... Bryce is working on traveling home to see his parents. Around 9 a.m., his parents get a voicemail from him saying that he had to use their roadside assistance account because he had ran out of gas. Though he never went back to his apartment. He just went straight towards his parents. Yes. Okay. They went back and they spoke with Sean later. And Sean said, I don't believe he ever came home. It's possible, I guess, if he would have snuck in quietly or something. But from the belief is he never ended up going back to his apartment. So Bryce's beige Toyota Highlander was out of gas in Buttonwillow, California. And this was about 350 miles from his apartment. But towards his parents. Yes, he was heading towards his parents at this point in time. So that was great. There was this really nice man named Christian who worked at a company called Castro Tire and Gas. He found out that Bryce needed gas. I don't know if Bryce called him or the roadside assistants probably called them, I guess. And he brought three gallons of gas to Bryce. So there was a $20 charge to his parents' credit card for the cost of the gas at this Castor Tire and Gas place. And so his parents saw that Bryce was in Button Willow, and so they're like, okay, perfect. He's on our way here. Their house in Laguna Niguel was only about a three-hour drive from where he was in Button Willow. So his parents try calling Bryce, but he's not answering. Three hours pass, and they're like, okay, Bryce should be home by now. He was only three hours away. Where is he? And so his parents call that Castro Tire and Gas place and ask to talk to Christian. And they ask Christian, like, is everything okay with Bryce? Like, did he, did you send him on his way? Is there something still wrong with the car? Is he still there? Whatever. And Christian's like, I will go check. But when I saw him, he, I'd given him the gas and he was all good to go. And he should have been on his way. Christian leaves his shop and goes back to the same spot where Bryce was originally and is surprised to see that Bryce is still just sitting in his car. In the same spot? Same spot. So Christian calls Karen and Mike and lets Bryce talk to them. Karen asks, what are you doing? And he just goes, nothing. Which I don't know that he's wrong because it sounds like he's just (laughs) sitting here. Doing nothing. Yeah. But why are you doing nothing, son? I, I don't know if she asked that. Christian told Karen, like, Bryce seems okay. His eyes are a little red, but, he, like, he seems fine. So Karen's like, okay, Bryce, come home. Like, why are you sitting there? You've been there for hours. And so Bryce is 
supposed to be heading home. This was around 1230 that this call happened. And are these phone calls, like this past one, was it on Bryce's phone or did was it through Christian's phone? That one was on Christian's phone. Because Bryce is not answering. Right? Yes. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. 3 p.m. arrives and Bryce should be home. 3.30 comes and still not home. 4 o'clock comes, still not home. And I'm sure you can imagine how his parents are feeling. They're just blowing up his phone at this point, just like repeatedly calling. He's still not answering any phone calls. So about six more hours go by without any communication from Bryce. So at this point, they have the California Highway Patrol officers go out to check on Bryce around 9 p.m. Do they know where he is? They were able to trace his phone because his phone was his parents' account. It was all connected, so they traced his phone. And the patrol officers go out, and he is only about eight miles from where he was nine hours ago. So he started driving again just a couple minutes, basically. Five to ten minutes, yeah. Was he just on the side of the road or in a parking lot? He was just on the side of the road. Doing nothing? Uh Uh-huh. Once again, just sitting there in his car staring at whatever was through the windshield so the officers approach him and when they get up there bryce appears to be fine but they search his vehicle because something is seems to be going on and his parents have expressed a lot of concerns and they search the car for drugs alcohol find nothing they perform a sobriety test on him and he passes that so altogether, the police officers spend about 20 minutes with bryce and then they tell him, like, call your parents to let them know you're fine. And he's just like, I, I don't want to. And he just refused to call his parents. But apparently after the police kind of, like, argued with him a little bit and they got a little more firm, he decided to call his parents. And around 10 o'clock that night, Karen calls Bryce again and he answers and she goes, what are you doing? And he says, I'm going to hang with friends later. Sure. Since he's out in the middle of nowhere and driving home. Yes. So then 11 p.m. comes. And there's a transaction from Bryce at a gas station where he buys a drink for $1.71. Abby, I know you know this story because we've done it before and I talk about it all the time. But guess where this gas station was that he bought the drink? Hmm. I don't know. Where? (laughs) Button Willow. What? Still in the same town. He has not moved. I appreciate you attempting to act surprised (laughs) for our listeners. Here's the thing. At this point, when he, because he has called and talked to his parents on the phone when the officers are there, or at least we're just there, and he's saying he's going to go see some friends. I'm wondering if there's any way for the parents in a situation like this, and I don't know with his specifically, but is there a way for them to say something's wrong? Can you like pick him up? Or if he's an adult, can you even do that? There's not really anything you can do because he's an adult. And he says he's fine. He's passing tests. 
Yeah, he's so he's passing the sobriety test fine. The only thing that they could maybe do is if they wanted to file like a stolen car, like a report for a stolen car. Because the car that Bryce is driving is technically his parents. Oh. So if they wanted to do that, they technically could have. But I, I think it's one of those situations where Mike and Karen were trying to be parents while also trying to respect the fact that Bryce is a 19-year-old college student who is legally old enough to make his own decisions and is an adult, technically. And so I think that they were trying to find that thin line between parenting him and like giving him the adult freedom and so i think that that's kind of what we're seeing here when they're like calling the police to have them go check on him and then they're telling him to come home but they're not taking too many actions to like completely force it they're just saying you need to come home they're probably trying to not make the situation worse in a way Mm -hmm. but it just something is something's up and it's weird the whole story is a weird one and you I kind of wonder how he was talking and acting when the cops were interacting with him. Like, I know they said he seemed fine, but what is fine? Fine is such a relative term. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, he might be acting fine, but, like, they don't know Bryce. Yeah, what's fine for Bryce might not be a normal fine. Yeah. Obviously, something has been up enough that Kim his ex-girlfriend now, was concerned enough that she didn't want him driving. And something's weird in the sense that he's just sitting on the side of the road all day. Yeah, so at this point in time, it is 11 o'clock at night, and we know that he got to Button Willow at 9 a.m. So it's been 14 hours, and he's still in this same town. And as far as we know, the only thing he's done is sat in his car this whole time and done, quote, nothing. Because he hasn't ate. He got one drink and that was it. Unless he had cash and that's what he used somewhere. Or if like he had snacks in his car or something. Around this time, when he buys that drink in Button Willow, he also gets $39 worth of gas at the Valero. His parents reach out to their friend Christian again. And they're like, can you check on Bryce? Because like something's not right. Because while these charges were seen in Button Willow... Some of them weren't seen until later. So at this point in time, they weren't, they didn't really know what was going on with Bryce. And the parents were obviously concerned because, like I said, it'd been 14 hours and he said technically at nine o'clock, he technically should have been home about 11 hours ago. It's a little crazy that it's taking him 14 hours to go three hours. Like Abby and I are not great at road trips because we stop everywhere, like because we have to go to the bathroom every five minutes, ask our editor Bryce he loves it when we're recording and we have to pause all the time to go to the bathroom but we don't care when we're on a road trip we just kind of stop so you know our road trips a three-hour road trip might be four to five hours for us because we're making a lot of stops doing whatever kind of just chilling but three hours taking 14 hours and not even moving from one town yeah it almost seems like he's stalling or like, I don't know if scared is the right word, but something is up that's making him not want to go home. But he's also not going back to his apartment. It's like, you know, he's trying to figure out what his next move is. But by doing that, he's just sitting and not moving. Exactly. And Button Willow isn't even that big of a town. It's about a almost a seven mile radius for the town. And the population in 2010, so it's probably gone up a little bit, but in 2010, it was 1,500. So 
not a very big town. It's not like he's going to all these attractions and exactly. It's not like he's in Chicago or Indianapolis or whatever where he's finding things to do or there's like could be a lot of traffic or whatever. He's just in this small town. From what it sounds like, he's not even going out doing stuff. He's just sitting in his car. Yeah. And got a drink for a dollar seventy one, which makes I want to know what he drank. I don't know that. I feel like it was, it was probably a mount- just like a bottle pop. I feel like it was a Mountain Dew. I could see him drinking a Mountain Dew. So they call Christian and Christian's like, let me go check on him again, which we talked about this before. But how awesome is Christian? It's nice that the parents have someone who isn't even really connected, but he's willing to go help out and do what he can. It's just it's such a weird scenario because we have all these people and police officers going and checking on him and just like we're not doing anything. Yeah, I've always struggled with this case for that reason. And don't get me wrong, I don't think anybody was doing any like I don't think anybody did anything incorrectly, but it feels like we're there was a lot of missed opportunities. Knowing the entire outcome of this story, I agree, but it's hindsight, you know? To them, it may have seemed totally normal. They might, may not have thought anything was super odd other than, I mean, his parents did. But, like, once again, like I said, hindsight. So maybe for them, it wasn't the thought that they were never going to see Bryce again. It was trying to get him home for the night to figure out why he's acting weird. I, I mean, nobody ever thinks that, like, terrible things are going to happen. So I don't know. But they call Christian. Christian goes to check on Bryce. Bryce is still in the same spot he's been for... 14 hours christian's like let me i'm gonna follow like bryce we're gonna go like it's time to get on the interstate it's time to go you need to go home you need to get on i-5 south and head home so christian follows bryce to make sure that he gets onto the interstate and is going in the right direction follows him a little while and then christian kind of detours off and he's done with his good act of the day I wish I could have been there for that conversation to see it. Christian saying, hey, you want to start driving? I'm going to follow you because Bryce did it. I just wonder how like complacent he was with everyone and how he was responding. It seems like he was responding normally and like as if he was willing to help and do his part to get home. But for whatever reason, something kept stopping him from actually following through with that and going home. According to the GPS that Bryce had on, he was supposed to arrive home around 325 in the morning. And Karen was, you know, trying to keep track of Bryce. So she just kept asking him like where he was. But he kept saying that he was on I-5 South, but that it was too dark for him to see anything. So she is on the phone with him now. She has been and like a, a couple times. She's been able to talk to him. They are not on the phone the entire duration of the drive. It's too dark to see anything. Does he not have his lights on? I don't know. He just kept telling her he couldn't see like where he was. You'd think he'd at least be able to give mile markers or something. Well, if he had his GPS going, that tells you where you are. And anytime she said, where are you? He just kept saying, I'll be home at 325. Around 1.50 in the morning, so he should, in theory, be just a little, like an hour and a half from home. He calls his mom and says that he had to detour off the I-5, but he was back on it. And then at 2.08, he talks to Karen again and says, I had to get off the I-5 again. I'm in a suburban area, but I'm going to sleep in my car. And Karen's like, you know what? That's fair. Like, you have been up for probably 48 hours at least. 
you can go to sleep. Yeah, and you don't want to drive if you're falling asleep at the wheel. Absolutely not. So she doesn't argue that. And she's like, all right, call me in the morning and come home. And that is the last time that Karen ever speaks to Bryce. So later found out Bryce never pulled over to get rest. He kept driving for another like 90 minutes south and ended up near Castaic Lake. Which is how far from his home? About two hours from his parents' house in Laguna Niguel. Not on track. No, because at this point, he should have been driving already for like two hours, probably. Yeah, about two hours. And he should have only been about an hour from home. And instead, he was a little over two hours from home. I don't really know where this kid was going or what he was doing. And the one thing that I wish is that this had happened more recently because of advancements in cars. Some of the newer cars, like you can track all of that. And you could find out exactly where they went, but this, you couldn't in this car. Yeah, I'm definitely the newer ones that have the GPS built in. Mm -hmm. And so there's just not a whole lot of information for exactly where he was since the last time he talked to his mom was 2.08 in the morning. And it was around 5 to 5.30 in the morning when police end up finding a wrecked car near Castaic Lake. So for three to three and a half, like three to three and a half hours in that time period, something happened before the car was found where he wrecked. What was the cause of the wreck and what did it, what kind of damage was there? There, There's not a whole lot. So the police investigate this to try to figure it out. And I assume Bryce is not in the vehicle. Correct. Bryce is not there. So while police are investigating, there's this camera that is near Lake Castaic. And I'm not really sure why it's there. The, the camera specifically, but it takes pictures of license plates as they go up this hill. Maybe they're having issues with crime in the area. Something. So they see his car drive up the hill at 215. The camera catches it. But then the same camera captures him going up the hill again at 429 in the morning. So he went up the hill, went and did something else, came back and went back up the hill yes did it videotape him going down the hill at all no the only thing it shows is it going up so it's a different spot where he went down but it makes you wonder what he did for two hours Mm-hmm. my assumption is he probably sat his car and stared some more because that's what he's been doing all day yeah i don't i don't really feel like he did anything crazy during that time because he had an all day So they don't know the exact time of the car wreck, but it had to be somewhere between 4.30 and 5.15 in the morning because that's when police officers arrived at Lake Castaic. They had a planned training exercise and at the lake. So when they got there, they ended up seeing his car wrecked. And then by 8 o'clock in the morning, police officers were at Karen and Michael's home in Laguna and Niguel letting them know of the crash. From looking at the car, I know you said you weren't sure how much like damage there was or anything. So to answer your question about the car the damage itself. I was kind of waiting a minute to go into that. It was found overturned on an access road leading to the lake and it had apparently gone down this huge embankment, flipped onto its side and so there was like glass that was broken and everything and the back window of the car had been removed but it looked as if somebody had broken it from the inside trying to get out. With that then he would have wrecked and maybe like got stuck and broke the window to get out of the car? Yes. Was there any blood? There was a very tiny amount of blood on that window where it was broken. They did find all of his belongings in his car. So his laptop, his cell phone, his wallet, a duffel bag in the car, all was in it. The thing that was a little strange, the duffel bag found on the back of his car was unzipped. So 
police were led to believe that there was something in the bag that he did remove, but they had no idea what it was. Or maybe sometime during his time sitting in the car, he opened it and got something out and never zipped it back up. That's possible, too. I mean, sometimes I leave my bag unzipped and I just toss it in the car. Yep. But they were led to believe that he grabbed something. I just don't know what it was. So the tire tracks that they traced showed the vehicle had been at the top of the embankment and then it looked as if he had sped down the hill and that no effort had been made to use brakes and the brakes were working so police were like maybe Bryce was trying to take his own life by driving his vehicle into the lake and then because of the way that it's like set up from the top of the hill it looks like if you just went straight down you would be in the lake but there's like this cliff this drop off and then there's actually quite a bit of feet, like road, right between the drop-off and the lake itself. And that's what he ended up on, was this access road. And But from, like I said, from the top of the hill, it would have looked like you were driving straight into the lake. That's why police are like, that's probably what he did. So there were search parties set up, and people were searching. There was just everybody searching. Divers were searching the lake for many days. Volunteer groups were searching the campgrounds and other areas around the area. But nothing was found at all. I hope you guys enjoyed part one of the two-part Bryceless Biza story. Join us back next week where we will go into more of the investigation and we will talk about some of the theories and what possibly happened to Bryceless Biza. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.